everybody. Happy holidays. Episode 14 of the podcast that goes snicked is brought to you by Shiner Holiday Cheer. I mean, they're not sponsoring me, but we have a lot of books to get to for December in this episode. And uh, I'll be working on a six pack of Shiner Holiday Cheer as we get through it. <laughs> Alright, well, without further ado, here we go! Since we uh, covered the last issue of Wolverine in episode 13, we're going to start off this episode with our segment, And the X-Men. We're going to start with Wolverine and the X-Men number 22, Big Top Hell, written by Jason Aaron. Penciler is Nick Bradshaw. The inks are by Walden Wong, Norman Lee, Craig Young, or Young, and Nick Bradshaw. Laura Martin is the colorist. This is Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And the cover is by Bradshaw and Guru Effects. I think I commented on this cover last time. Uh, as it was in the, the back of issue 21. And you have three of the ex-students tied up in the, the carnival. Shark Girl, Idy, and Quentin Choir. I thought it was great because Quentin Quire is wearing a white t-shirt with a Cyclops head on it. Which of course is a direct reference to uh, AVX Consequences where uh, Cyclops told Wolverine that one day a student would show up to his school with his face on a t-shirt saying Cyclops was right. So that's a nice nod to that miniseries. So behind them you have uh, Wolverine in his Revolto the Clown costume. And then in the bottom of the cover you have two... Uh, Looks like water gun barrels with dripping water. But then behind, in the background, you have a mirror. And you see holding the guns Iceman and Beast and then a storm. Oh, I'm sorry. And there's also, you see Kid Apocalypse's head or Evan's head. Genesis, I guess, is his name in this book. And you have lots of, like, neat little creepy verges of stuffed animals all around the the mirror and the booth and yeah one that kind of looks like scar the puppet scarface from batman uh, there's no well yeah there kind of is a scar so i think that's a nod um you have something up top that looks like a cross between garfield and heathcliff but the evil version of course you have a skeleton and devil something with boxing gloves so let's throw a few of the highlights and come on. There's lots of stuff on here. You have one of the, the monkey with the symbols. <laughs> Looks really creepy. Um, oh, what was it? What comic was it recently? Oh, I say recently. Time all. 
you know, after, everything after college kind of blurs together. So the last 10 or so years for me is like, I don't, was that two years ago or was that eight years ago? I feel like there was a comic somewhat recently, or maybe it was a TV show. I'm not even really sure. Well, there was a symbol monkey that, like, rang the alarm at the bad guy base. Oh, crap, what was that? Was it something in Batman, maybe? It kind of sounds right, it kind of sounds wrong. Or, or Deadpool? <laughs> I don't know, I'm grasping at straws. I remember there being, like, a base and a symbol monkey. Oh, you know what it was? It was Toy Story 3. I was way off. But the monkey that runs the security cameras. That's what I was thinking of. Wow. Weird. Inaccurate mental association I'm having. (laughs) Anyway. I would also comment on the cover uh, above the title. It says, The Strangest Heroes of All. Which, um, it's a nice nod back to the original X-Men series where it would say on the cover, I think it said the strangest teens of all. I don't think it said heroes. I think it said teens, but I'm not 100% positive on that. But um, it's funny that this happens on this issue because I just uh, finished listening to the last couple of episodes of the Danger Room podcast, and they're in X-Men in the early 60s, like 61 or 63, somewhere around there. And that's when the title switched to where it said the strangest teens of all. So that's a strange coincidence that I listened to those episodes yesterday. And now I'm doing an episode where my book that I'm reviewing has that above the title. Anyway, so where we are, if you don't remember, um, the X-Men staff from the Jean Grey School have been taken over by Frankenstein's Circus, who has come to Salem Center because... He's tracked the last remnant of the Frankenstein family there. And, of course, that's the young Frankenstein. <laughs> not, not the movie, but uh, knockers. Um, but the young Frankenstein from our uh, kid Hellfire Club. But the, he might control the X-Men, and they're running or working at the circus. And the kids ran off and found the circus and are trying to rescue their teachers. But the kids have been, it's not really going that well for them. Alright, so we start off with a flashback of some town apparently uh, stuck back, it says months ago, but it looks like, you know, a couple of centuries ago. They have a town and it's an angry mob coming to get this witch from the circus. But Frankenstein intervenes and he, he kills the owner of the circus and I'm assuming the rest of the mob, and the witch owes him because she collects souls, and he wants to use her, I guess, to help him collect souls and and find, to take the circus to find young Frankenstein. And he does find him, and he's trying to attack him, but the kid's like, you got the wrong idea, but, of course, Frankenstein's not buying it. And it's funny, he says... um, so anyway, Frankenstein the monster is fighting Frankenstein the boy. And the young X-Men are, are trying to fight the circus. And their mind-controlled staff. And we have Quentin Quire fighting Wolverine, or a.k.a. Revolto the Clown. Which I still love his costume. Especially, I don't know, something about the way he looks when he has his claws out with the hobo clown costume and the, 
the clown makeup, the Wolverine hair and sideburns and the claws coming out. It just looks really cool. Um, so you have Rock Slide fighting Beast. Shark, a nice scene of Shark Girl fighting Warbird. If Warbird says, you look like something that would be tasty, battered, and deep fried. And uh, Shark Girl says, right back at you, chicken lady. <laughs> thought that was funny. We have some zombie clowns chasing Eye Boy. And Frankenstein the monster throws Frankenstein the boy in his trailer. And he kind of runs down the list of all the Frankenstein relatives he's killed. And he has the bodies in there. And he says he's tracked his blood. And Frankenstein the boy tries to tell Frankenstein the monster he's not who he thinks he is. But of course Frankenstein the monster is not hearing it. But then Ivy steps in and shoots Frankenstein with fire, which obviously, according to legend, Frankenstein hates. And Frankenstein attacks Ivy. We have uh, Genesis fighting Iceman. And he goes, this isn't you, Iceman. Stop this. You're not a monster. That's supposed to be me, remember? Kind of a, a nod to the uh, what's been going on in this book and in Uncanny X-Force. But Genesis saves some kids and puts them on an elephant. And he cuts the elephant loose. And the elephant stops on a zombie clown. And the two little kids that Evan saved uh, howl with glee. <laughs> Sadistic little kids. And he goes back and he's beating Iceman. But then Storm shoots him with lightning. And he goes through the top of the big top. But he lands like in the middle of these mirrors. And we get <laughs> Get another nice homage to uh, Superman, particularly act, uh, Action Comics number one, where Superman is, you know, has he's picking up the car and smashing it down, and and Genesis sees himself in that pose in a Superman type suit with a, a G instead of an S in the Superman symbol. It's interesting because it's like these mirrors reveal, I guess, the true person. So we're seeing that. Evan really, or as Genesis, really does have the potential to really be a hero. He doesn't have to go down the apocalypse thing, you know. And I love this character. He's really interesting. You know, like I've talked a lot about on this podcast, the nature versus nurture thing and the way the X-Books, particularly of late, have been handling that. And I've been really, been really enjoying that. And we get kind of insight into how Evan sees what his future could hold. I don't think he'll ever really wear a Superman suit, but um, it's a cool image still. The storm knocks him out, and then she looks in the mirror. And man, we get... All right, so we get classic Storm with the 80s, like John Byrne slash whatever costume. Then on the other opposite end, we have the classic 90s costume. And we have one of her costumes when she was in Africa, which is basically just like a white robe barely covering her uh, private parts and then we get a nice obscure picture of a storm as a goddess of thunder from asgard and that is from a a very obscure reference from x-men annual number nine back in i think it's the 80s wow she's even holding the hammer but then the one she's looking at that kind of jogs her memory is punk storm with the mohawk from like the late uh, maybe it was mid-80s, mid to late 80s. So yeah, and also a, a nice kind of promo because we know that here pretty soon uh, that's the storm we're going to get in our current continuity. She's going to go back to the Mohawk. So 
I don't think like this whole circus thing is gonna be the impetus for that, but it's cool that we're seeing kind of a a nice image slash promo for that and a little foreshadowing. So kudos to uh, Aaron and Bradshaw. So Idy and Kid Frankenstein are fighting Monster Frankenstein, and Idy's like, "Do I know you?" And we met, and he thinks to himself. Which we get a thought bubble instead of just, like, narration, which I thought was cool and kind of old school. Which this whole, this current run of Wolverine and the X-Men feels very old school. And there's a lot of nods to to old stuff and old continuity. Um, Really digging that. But uh, anyway, so in the thought bubble, he says, well, only that one time when I tried to destroy your school. But then he says out loud, no, I don't think so. Now, if you'll excuse me. And Ida's like, why was that big guy trying to kill you? And Kid Frankenstein's like, family squabble. And Ida says you should tell someone. And he's like, yeah, go do that. And he gets one of his little magic cubes he built to scan for energy. He locates the energy as magic and the source is the witch. So Ida and Kid Frankenstein cut their way through this evil circus heading towards the witch. Um, Kid Frankenstein says, shouldn't you be getting back to your school? I imagine Wolverine will be looking all over for you. And Idy's like, I used to love going to school, but that was where a friend of mine got shot. Which makes me sad. Um, I know this was written and produced a long time ago, and I'm not going to go into a big diatribe, but kind of unfortunate timing with um, the most recent events in our country right now um yeah but uh not to be a downer and I don't want to use this to get on any kind of soapbox or anything it's purely a coincidence it's just kind of a bad stroke of luck that this issue came out right after that um but of course he's referring to brew and uh Kid Frankenstein's like I know I was there I had to scrub his brains off my shoes but then he says out loud, that sounds unfortunate. I had a friend once too. And this is very interesting because Nick Bradshaw draws a wonderful job of his face. He looks kind of downtrodden. And he's like, no, not that. Don't you dare remember his name was. And then Idy interrupts, which I, we're about to get a nice like character reveal of this kid. But I'm sure it'll come back. But Idy interrupts and she's like, wait, how did you know I would go to the Jean Grey school? And Kid Frankenstein's like, your uniform, Einstein. And then he thinks to himself, wait, you know, pull yourself together. You're in the Hellfire Club. He's the Black Bishop. Then get rid of this ex-girl. So, then we see Eyeball Boy comes, finds his way into one of the tents. He's hiding. But he's, he's feeling bad, but apparently his eyes can see different ways and different things, so he can see the magic. But Kitty Pride phases in and throws him through a window, and she says it feels really good. And some zombie clowns start kicking the crap out of him. And Wolverine walks up, and he kind of sees what's going on, and he has a pie. But Storm has remembered who she is, so she comes out, and she starts frying everybody with lightning bolts. And Idy and Kid Frankenstein find the witch. And they're about to corner her. And then we switch over to Revolto the Clown. And Eyeball 
or iBoy or whatever his name is, comes up to him and he's, you know, about broken and he says, Professor Logan, please snap out of it. I'm your student. Help me, please. And he said, you got the wrong guy, kid. And one of the clowns says, that's Revolto you're talking to, the worst clown ever born. Yeah, tell him, Revolto, says the other clown. And he's like, my name is Revolto the Clown. I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do, what I do is get beaten with hammers and fall and vomit and make funny balloon animals. And, and, and he closes his eyes and he's like, hit people in the face with pies? And he opens his eyes and he looks like uh, his clarity is coming back. We get an awesome, hilarious scene when we get our first snicked. And he snicked his claws through the pie that he was holding. And he's going to put the pie in their face. Like, he's going to hit these clowns in the face with the pie. But this pie is an adamantium claw pie. You know, I personally prefer cherry pie or apple pie or even pumpkin pie. But, uh... Yeah, adamantium claw pie is apparently on the menu today. We get a nice scene of him going at the zombie clowns. And then Frankenstein interrupts and grabs Idy. And we see uh, Kid Frankenstein cowering. And, oh wait, is it going to help or not? And to be continued. I gotta say, this issue was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, been loving this creative team on this book. As it is, it's very, you know, I, I said last time that with modern sensibilities, and obviously in comic book writing and stuff has evolved, and I'm not, it's not really apples to apples. So I'm not really comparing the two. And I, I've said this before, but Aaron's run on this book evokes, I guess it really remind me isn't the right word, because it's not really a straight comparison, but it evokes a lot of the best parts I had said before the Chris Claremont runs, which I still hold to, but also it evokes some of the best parts of even before that. Even, like, before it was Uncanny X-Men, back when it was still X-Men, before uh, Giant Size, and before they got mired in the reprints because they weren't selling very well. Some of the best elements of the first run of X-Men is updated and modernized and, and twisted around in an adjacent Aaron way, but I don't know. It just has a very, like, the best of the best of fun X-Men stories. And I like my X-Men both ways. I like it fun and adventure, and I like it super serious and epic and kind of the big storylines, you know? But these are cool too and I really just am really really enjoying this book right now um writing is great art is great colors are great inking lettering everything is all fantastic just a really really strong solid book um I'm really interested you know uh Ken Frankenstein or Maximilian whatever other name he's going by I forget because he doesn't like the name Frankenstein. So, <laughs> sorry that I called you Kid Frankenstein the whole issue. But, uh, anyway, that's my nickname for you now. But anyway, um, he kind of shows some good camaraderie with Idy. And we get kind of the soft spot where he remembers he had a friend once. And we don't find out who it is yet. But, um, I don't know. We see some shades of good in this kid who's the Black Bishop in the Hellfire Club. And he's, in this issue especially, just 
kind of all of a sudden became a really interesting character to me. So really interesting to see how his story plays out. Um, yeah, just a lot of things, a lot of good, cool things going on with this book. So um, we have a lot to get to, so I'm going to stop this here. But um, Wolverine and the X-Men number 22 gets three claws. Great book. If you're not reading this issue and you're an X-Men fan and you like fun, epic adventure X-Men and all, you're really, truly uh, missing out. Anyway, Wolverine and the X-Men, number 22, three claws. Three very strong claws. All right. Okay, so up next we have Astonishing X-Men, number 57. And this is a new story arc with a new art team. And so before we even get into the credits, um, I just want to say that I just I really enjoyed uh, Mike Perkins' run on this book art-wise. I wasn't entirely sure about it at first, his style as art, but I felt like, I really felt like, and I've said this before, but I really felt like it got stronger every issue and got to the point to where I really liked it quite a bit. And, um... You know, not only that, but I actually went, I was digging around online because I haven't really heard him announced to be on any new books like in Marvel now, like what he's going to be doing next since they took him off of this book. And honestly, I couldn't really find anything, but I will say like, you know, I want to say as much as I enjoyed watching his art evolve on Astonishing X-Men, there's stuff on his website that blows his X-Men work away. Um, there's some really good, like, I guess you'd call them pinups or whatever, or maybe they were covers to stuff, or there's some commissioned art on there that he put up, but it's just really fantastic. But that said, um, I'll try to find out whatever he's doing next and, uh, check him out because he really, he really came to be an artist that I really enjoyed, uh, reading his work in this book and on this podcast. You know, he went from somebody you know, several months ago that I thought was serviceable and really his art just progressed and we got better and better every issue and it'd be kind of sad to see him leave this book, to be honest, because I I just feel like he really turned into not only judging his work on Astonishing from when he started that to the last issue. I just feel like he really turned into a really good X-Men artist. And so... Hopefully there'll be something coming down the pipeline as far as what he's doing, whether it's for Marvel or somebody else. But uh, I would definitely try to uh, keep tabs on that and probably check it out. Yeah. So wouldn't mind seeing him on another team book. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, an Avengers book or maybe I don't think he's he's still listed as Marvel exclusive on his website, but it doesn't have anything like upcoming projects listed or anything. Anyway, let me see if I can uh, find his website real fast in case anybody else wants to look at it. It is... I had it up here a second ago. MikePerkinsArt.com So if you want to go check out some uh, pretty cool sketches and completed drawings by Mike Perkins, then that's the place to look. Alright, well, uh, that's that. Uh, He will be missed on this podcast. But, uh... Well, we got to get on to the new book. So, Astonishing X-Men 57, written by Marjorie Liu. The art is by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Felix Ruiz. 
Colors are by Chris Peter with Dan Brown. VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And the cover is by Phil Noto. The cover's pretty sweet. It's got a warbird with a swords crossed in front of her. And reflected in the swords are Wolverine and Gambit. And it's a, it's a nice cover. So we start off in Manhattan. It's Christmas time. North Star and Kyle are ice skating. And we have a blue narration box. And honestly, we go all the way through this issue. And I'm not entirely sure who it is. Maybe it's supposed to be a surprise. And we'll find out in the upcoming issues. It'll be revealed. Because it's someone that's talking about observing Warburn. And saying like, talking about the nature of the Shi'ar. But most of what she's seen, or I say she... Most of what the narrator has seen Warburn do is just kind of wander around in that and kind of ask the question, well, what is a warrior without a war? You know, good question. And we see Warburn uh, wandering around, and then she goes to uh, Karma's place for dinner. And it's funny because Karma's little brother is wearing uh, ranger antlers. And uh, Warburn says, the protuberances from his head are not real, are they? And Carver's like, uh, no, that's just part of a costume. Something associated with the holidays. And Warbird says, you dress as your gods, you mean. And Karma, who is becoming slightly more likable over between the annual and this issue. Now you throw a little humor her way and suddenly is, she's not as annoying and dull. So that's good. But uh, she says... Well, I don't know if reindeer count as God, so sort of? Karma actually says something really insightful about feeling Warbird's pain because, you know, she, if you remember from Wolverine and the X-Men, she was left behind because she was sent here in charge of Kid Gladiator. And during the X-Men versus Avengers stuff with the Phoenix Force, the Shi'ar Death Squad came and fought and got their butts kicked and they left because Gladiator was broken. And King Gladiator was absconded back to the Shi'ar Empire. And Warbird is left here. And so Carmen talks about she knows what it's like to be an immigrant, a stranger in a place you don't recognize, being abandoned, being left. And she says, when I came to this country, nothing was familiar, nothing made sense. It was traumatizing. And I want you to know you're not as alone as you think you are. And Warbird says, thank you. And I think she means it. And she says, but I will adapt. I am still a, a warbird and we do not falter. So they're sitting at dinner and out of the corner of her eye, she spots a magazine and she gets it. And we see this weird like artifact looking thing on the cover and she runs off and Karma chases her, but she's already gone. And then we see her in the Blackbird and Wolverine is calling her on the intercom and she turns it off and she's looking at the magazine and this artifact was found in Egypt. And Warbird says, impossible, we killed them all. So the X-Men tracked the Blackbird to Egypt. And Karma had uh, put two and two together. And she went and bought another copy of the magazine that she had in her apartment. And she did a search on the cover and found out that the article was an alien artifact from a race that the Shi'ar had committed genocide against. I don't think she uses that word, but I'm going to use that word because that's what it was. They uh, systematically wiped out this alien race. But this artifact is from it. And so she knows that's kind of probably what tipped Warbird off. And Wolverine questions why the Shi'ar would wipe them out. And Karma says, because they were scared of them. 
And Gambit's like, well, it could be your weapon. We can't take a chance. We gotta follow him. But uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. E.T. Task Force comes, and they want to know why. We get kind of a men in black thing here. Uh, they're like, we know the Shi'ar alien has left the country. You know, kind of like they're keeping tabs on all the different aliens. And they even all have sunglasses on. So they even kind of look like men in black. But it's a nice homage. It's not, you know, dumb. It's actually kind of cool. So we see Warbird in Egypt, and she tracks down an alien who's disguised as a human. Basically says, I won't kill you if you tell me how to get to the artifact. So she does, she finds it in a museum, and this alien attacks her. And apparently he is the last of the Fiondans? 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 Not sure how you pronounce it. I mean, I don't know, who do you ask on how to pronounce made-up alien races? I'm not sure. I would ask Marjorie Lou, but I don't have her phone number. <laughs> so there's no phonetic pronunciation uh, given to us here, but uh, I will say it's funny because when he first talks, it has an asterisk with the little brackets around it, and the box says translated from, and then it just is like a bunch of, it looks like fake hieroglyphics. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. I don't know if that's on the editor or on Marjorie Lou, but um, yeah, he tries to grab the artifact, but Warburg grabs him. They fight some more, and that's and he breaks some orb, and it rele- releases a pink gas, and Warburg starts to go into a trance. And he says, dream if you can, though no Shi'ar ever has. And we get an awesome full-page panel of, like, Shi'ar dreaming, but in stained glass. And we see there's a child, and kind of invokes... That story from Wolverine and the X-Men when we kind of saw like Warbird's backstory about how she was an artist but you're not supposed to be an artist as a Deathbird. You're supposed to just be a warrior. And so she's kind of screaming up in the air with this stained glass dream. She's a beautiful page here. And it says, No Shi'ar ever dreams except for the ones who were born defective. And then we switch art. <laughs> I gotta say, I really enjoyed uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walta's art. Um, he's kind of being billed by Marvel as kind of one of the next great artists. I'm not quite ready to uh, title him with that. But I will say his art is pretty good. Quite good. Uh, with the potential to be really, really good. And so, looking forward to seeing, as much as I'm going to miss Mike Perkins, I'm looking forward to seeing this guy grow on this book. That said, the switch we make here in the middle of the book to Felix Ruiz, not that great. Uh, I'm not a fan. It's one, He's one of those kind of intentionally ugly artists, it looks like, where everybody kind of looks distorted. I'm not really a fan of that, necessarily. Some people do it really well. I don't know if this guy is one of those people. But the first half of the book, the, or even more than half, really, like, I guess first two-thirds of the book, Walter's art is fantastic. So we only... I'm hoping that... You know, it's funny because it's kind of... Walter has a lot of, like, soft inks and stuff is kind of stylized. And the Ruiz art kind of goes with it as a poor substitute. (laughs) Oh, man. It's just... It's not my cup of tea. And I hope that he... It's a mean thing to say, and I don't mean it to be mean. I'm just being honest. I hope that he's not going to be like, if Walter gets behind, he'll be the regular fill-in artist. And I'm assuming 
that's what happened. Walter's first issue, maybe he just didn't get it done in time. That's why we have this other guy. Anyway, I won't harp on it too bad. I don't like to to tear down creators too much. Um, I just, yeah, anyway, en- enough of that. So Warbird wakes up, and they're in a shield complex. She's in the hospital bed. Logan and Karma are there. And apparently she was kind of in a coma, but she was drawing in her coma. And Karma says the art is really, really good. And so obviously that's another callback to Wolverine and the X-Men issue where we learned that she grew up as an artist, but it was kind of torn away from her and she was discouraged. Wolverine says, what does it mean, darling? Asking her about the sketch pad. And she's like, nothing. It is nonsense, weakness, insanity. Get it away from me. And she throws it across the room. Do we have two S.H.I.E.L.D. agents watching it in the monitor? I can't tell if this lady is supposed to be Agent Brand or not. Is that hair green? Is it not green? I don't know. Is it brown with slightly green off coloring? I can't tell. But the other agent kind of talks about all the aliens that are watching. And the Shi'ar is a snowflake in a snowstorm. Just one flake. And it kind of, you know, makes they just have to realize their insignificance. But whoever it is, they come in with the other alien that I know for sure is the guy from S.W.O.R.D. He's the empath. Uh, his name is Sindrin because he's a Cobra commander. Disguised as a horse. <laughs> horse, Cobra horse commander is his other name. And he's a Drex telepath. Here to read uh, Warbird's mind. Warbird gives the astonishing X-Men the story. She doesn't know if the artifact is a weapon or not, but the race who made it was exterminated by the Shi'ar. It was essential to their survival. It was essential because, and she awkwardly explains art. She's like, no, what they crafted was by hand and other tools, with their voices as well. What you call here music, a terrible weapon. Music distorts perception, which offends me because I'm a musician. <laughs> Anyway, it causes the warrior to lose focus. It creates deviant thoughts. Everything they did was deviant. What they made with their paints and light and carvings, what they sang, what they imagined, all of it dangerous, heretical, addictive, beautiful. And Karma's like, uh, I'm sorry, but it sounds like you're talking about artist. And Warbird's like, artist, yes. Cobra Commander Horse says, The Shi'ar do not outlaw art on other worlds. And she says the Fiendin were different. I'm going to go with Fiendin. They can enter here. And points to a heart like Celine Dion. Gives a little Celine Dion chest bump. I will go on. Uh, inside us in ways that no one understood. It was like a disease. <laughs> Wolverine's like, damn, Warbirds. Suddenly I want to read a book. But then there's an explosion. And Logan says that's their cue from Gambit. Then he's done erasing all the videotapes. Just funny why they would still have security tapes. Maybe Logan's just saying that because he's an old man and it's really digital, I would hope. And Karma puts his maid in the garden as she can in a slumber. And Gambit gives Deathbird or Warbird uh, a note of a contact in Egypt and she escapes. And we see her kind of resting on top of a building looking out over Cairo and she's starting to cry. But she says, I am strong. I will not falter. I am Shi'ar. I am Warbird. To be continued. All right. So I already talked about the art. And I got to say, um, 
in kind of the slight up and down, mostly up, but occasionally down, that Marjorie Liu has been. This is definitely up. Uh, this story is very interesting. Uh, there's some mystery. Uh, lots of good dialogue, good character development. Like I said, she's kind of uh, continuing Christus Gage and making me like Karma a little bit. And I think I, I said, and I think I edited it out on the last episode, that uh, when we talked about Astonishing X-Men, not last episode, but a couple episodes ago, talking about the Astonishing X-Men annual, I made a comment that I'm pretty sure I erased that said uh, that Marjorie Liu can take a, take a page out of Christus Gage's book on how to make me like Karma. And I guess just saying that out into the ether, maybe Marjorie Liu heard it because suddenly she's writing Karma a lot more interesting. And I'm starting to like the character a little bit more. And I, I really never have. And I'm not just picking on her. I just never really thought the character was very cool. But um, between Gage and, and Liu's kind of new story arc here, she's a lot cooler. Yeah, so there's just there's some intrigue, some history... Uh, the part about the Shi'ar being emotionless, I know, like, the Shi'ar warriors have kind of always been painted that way, and there's a little bit of, like, if the Vulcans were warriors and emotions bad, and her awkward depiction of art is, this isn't a dystopian future, but you kind of get that feeling like art has been ridiculed and oppressed in the Shi'ar Empire. You know, I don't remember it always being that way, like, across the board. Um, I remember it kind of being that way with the the warbirds themselves, like with the warrior class. But I don't remember the Shi'ar culture, and so I'm not sure. Maybe warbird is just referring to the warrior class here, which is talking about art. Anyway, that part's kind of hack. It's kind of silly, but since the other X-Men kind of make fun of it, it gets a pass. Because then, you know, Marjorie Lou's just trying to show the way Warbird sees it. Even it's kind of dumb and kind of, I don't know, overdone. And like the emotionless warrior race, blah, blah, blah. But since uh, Karma and Wolverine kind of give her a hard time about it, then it's not as bad. So I want to see what happens next. This is a good issue, a good story. A lot better than the last story, I think, so far, at least starting off. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't really sure if I was going to give this book two claws or three claws when I first read it. But going back through the overview, I'm going to give Astonishing X-Men number 57 three claws. All right, moving on. Okay, so up next we have Uncanny X-Force number 35. The last issue of this volume of Uncanny X-Force. And the last part of the final execution saga. This chapter is Rainbows, Puppy Dogs, and Sunshine. It is written, of course, by Rick Remender. Phil Noto is the artist. Frank Martin Jr. is the colorist. And VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. The cover is by... It doesn't actually say on here, but it's that, uh, that JTT guy, um, what's his name? Uh, Julian Tedesco Totino. That's weird that he's not, usually they say he does a cover in the, uh, credits, but for whatever reason, it's absent. Um, 
Alright, so yeah, this is going to be the last issue of Uncanny X-Force, much like uh, the current incarnation of Wolverine just ended, which we talked about last episode. Uh, now the this incarnation of Uncanny X-Force is ending. And also, like Wolverine will be replaced by two titles, X-Force will also be replaced by two titles. Uh, we'll have Cable and the X-Force, which actually already started, and I gave a brief synopsis of a couple of episodes ago and we'll have uncanny x-force starting over as a different team in a slightly different tone i'm pretty sure uh get into that in a minute so the cover by tedesco is kind of a who's who of remender's x-force rosters through the various story arcs we have everybody in the black and silver we have Psylocke, Wolverine, Archangel, Age of Apocalypse, Nightcrawler, Phantom X, Deadpool, Eva, and Deathlock. And a nice kind of hot pink background. It's a pretty good cover. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. So, this issue is basically um, a bow, not just on the final execution, but kind of the the bow on the the box of Remender's whole run on this book kind of wraps up everything. Kind of. Obviously leaves room for uh, the new books and I think some stuff he's going to continue in Uncanny Avengers, but uh, I guess we'll kind of see how that plays out. But it starts off with a very touching scene in Japan. Logan has come to bury Dokken in the... Uh, Village of Shirakawago. And I'm just going to kind of read what, what Wolverine says here. Because Remender, again, <laughs> this is like the second eulogy in the last couple of months that Remender has written for Wolverine. Uh, he gave the eulogy in Uncanny Avengers for Professor X. And now for, well, this is more of an internal dialogue, but it's kind of the same purpose uh, for his son, Dawkins. And he says, I would have been there. If I'd known you existed, I would have fought the devil himself to find you, to bring you home, to raise you. It'll be the eternal curse of my life that I never knew, who I could have been, who I wish I was. And it kind of, of course, it ends with a close-up of his eyes. And he says, And the difference it would have made to the life of one innocent boy. So I thought that was very poignant. Remender has a, a nice touch of poignancy about him fairly often. So then we switch to Otherworld. Uh, not my favorite part of Remender's uh, story arcs in X-Force, but uh, yeah, I'm just not not a Captain Britain fan. But I understand how it applies and whatever. So Psylocke has come back to Otherworld to visit her brother and then kind of say they forgive each other. Uh... Captain Britain still loves her, but she's come to say that she's quit X-Force. Actually, that, that Logan has disbanded X-Force. And to tell him that he was right about Phantom X. But then he kind of says, well, you know what, maybe I wasn't so right. Because I was looking over some of Dad's journals and, yeah, Phantom X was a dangerous anomaly. And our world is safer with him gone. The man who shot that child and the man you fell in love with were not the same person, Betsy. 
Phantom X was created with three different brains, one of which was a mutant hunting sentinel. I can only imagine the demons he was dealing with, the different directions he was being pulled in. The fact that he was able to fight the conflicting voices in his head at all is a testament to his character. <laughs> but also, apparently Psylocke has come to ask a favor. She wants to know if she can store the Shadow King's consciousness and some Apocalypse armor in the other world. Or it'll be protected and, generally speaking, nobody can get to it. So then we switch to the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. And Evan's reading a book and Deadpool pops in and he's back in his red and blacks. And he's like, what are you reading? And Evan gets a startled. He's like, ah! You think sneaking up on, on an apocalypse is a good idea, Wade? Deadpool's like, mindful meditation. Reading the title of the book, he says, Logan gave you this. He says it helped him. Mm. Hey, do me a favor. Okay. Never refer to yourself as an apocalypse. For one, even if you were, it's third person. It sounds super arrogant. No one likes that. And most important, you're not him. After all we went through together, I know. Again, like the way Reminder writes Deadpool. He's funny when he's not too gaggy or too jokey, but he's just, he's funny. He still make, he still cracks wise, but it's not too, too silly. But it's kind of silly. Uh, anyway, I like the way Reminder likes Deadpool is the, the point of that. Evan argues that he is Apocalypse and he has the same capacity for evil and he almost killed Mystique. And Deadpool actually kind of gets kind of touching. He says, we all have the capacity to be crappy people with bad tempers, Evan. Difference is you didn't quit fighting. You never stopped trying to be the man your Uncle Cluster taught you to be. And Evan's like, even though it was all a lie my entire life. And Deadpool says it doesn't really matter if it was virtual reality or reality reality. Which I love that because I always say that. I'll be like, oh well, no, there's... Dead, and there's dead dead. <laughs> Particularly applicable to comic books, um, where no one's ever dead dead. A lot of people are dead. No one's ever dead dead. But so I like that, I like that Deadpool uh, says reality, reality. But he says Phantom X raised him right. And he says, you know, I'll never have a son, which is a scary thought that if he did. But he says if he did, if he was as awesome as you, well, I'll always be there for you, basically. And he and Evan hug, and Evan calls him his hero, the hero that was there to save him at his lowest point. And Deadpool says that's the first time anyone's ever called him that, and he should get lost before he ruins the mood with a fart joke. And he runs off with Evan's book, and he's like, wait! He's like, no, 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 meditation is for hippies or psychopaths trying to be hippies. It ain't for you. I left you something you'll get more use of. And Evan turns around and... There's a stack of porn on his desk. Uh, I think it says Play Guy instead of Playboy. A nice little turn. So, Psylocke comes home and Wolverine and Eva are there and says they have one complication left unresolved. And so they show up. Oh, no, sorry. They're on their way still in the Eva ship. And Psylocke asks what, uh, you know, when they went to the future, she asks what, Oh, she goes, what did old Logan whisper to him before they left? And we actually see it. And Remender tells us, he says, I couldn't kill the boy. I let Dawkins live. This is future alternate possible future Wolverine talking to our Wolverine. 
He says, he'll kill the students if you let him live. You understand what I'm telling you? And of course, we see that in a flashback, but Logan just kind of stares off into space. And they conveniently arrive at their destination at the White Sky Facility, where Deadpool is waiting for them, and he says, was beginning to wonder if you were going to make it. I started the mimicking sequence without you, and he was like, idiot! I hadn't finished the adjustments. And Deadpool's like, well, I did. Or I hit some buttons, whatever. It's working. And the machine opens with a hissing sound and some fog. And Phantom X walks out in a nice full page spread. He's like, you gotta be kidding. And of course, the, all the X-Force guys are wide-eyed. And he's like, Braddock, I was certain I died. And they hug each other. And she's like, John, Philippe. And there's a gun. And it says, no, that would be me, squirrel. And, alright, so what's happened is there's now three Phantom X's. There's our normal Phantom X. There's our negative Phantom X, who is mostly black storm. Alright, so Phantom X kind of looks like Storm Shadow with a cloak, right? With some black trim. So I guess this guy is Snake Eyes with a cloak, but white trim, or evil Storm Shadow. But he's negative Phantom X, and I'm going to assume this is the Sentinel brain. And we also have a female Phantom X, who we know is going to be in the next version of Uncanny Avengers because of the cover art, which now I wish we had not seen that because I feel like this is kind of spoiled and that sucks. I guess it's my fault for having the internet. Silly me. Um, and Wolverine's like, ease down, we ain't here to hurt you because negative Phantom X has a gun pulled on Psylocke. And he's like, hurt me, how could you? I was already gone. And he disappears. So apparently, if he disappears in like a little Saturn globe that looks like Eva. But Eva's still there. So apparently, this version of Phantom X has that power inherent to him. And Wolverine's like, anything ever simple with you, LePew? And he's like, you resurrected me, Logan. And Deadpool's like, three different Phantom Xs? I just got my head around liking one, sort of. Uh, what are we doing about Phantom Sexy here? <laughs> and so our Phantom X we're used to turns to Eva and asks for an explanation. And so basically she deposited his body in the cloning sample hatch at this facility. All three brains were intact and the consciousness mimicker clearly misunderstood and cloned a new body for each brain. And, of course, the female Phantom X steps up and says, Well, one of our brains, as you know, is not very nice. And Deadpool's like, But you're nice. And she's like, The nicest. And Phantom X says, Are you hitting on us? And Deadpool says, I might have missed you. And Phantom X says, I might have missed you as well, but I was dead and couldn't. But I might have, if I could. And they shake hands. And so Phantom X is like, all right, well, catch me up to speed. What dastard we plot are we caught up in now? Where are we off to? I always kind of stare at him, and so he kind of gets the hint that X-Force is over. And Psylocke says, we never should have started. And Phantom X looks to Wolverine, and Wolverine just looks down at his feet. So everybody leaves Wolverine and Deadpool standing there. So we go to the French Alps. Uh, Eva ship drops off the remaining two phantom, good Phantom X's and Psylocke. And apparently one of his ski resort apartments. And they meet his mother. 
who is either blind or just has no pupils. She's been having nightmares of Phantom XS. Not anymore. I'm sorry. She's been having the nightmares. Phantom XS. Not anymore. And she's like, who is this? And now we get a little bit of insight here. She says, it's me, Mother Cluster. So, the cluster that raised Evan in virtual reality was the quote-unquote nicest brain who is now inhabiting the female form. But the Phantom X's mom says, well, I've never met any of his girlfriends. He must like you. And Psylocke asks him, is starting to, the snow is starting to get heavier and heavier. And Psylocke says, is this real? And Phantom X is like, maybe. Is there anything? What do I know? Maybe the Shadow King cooked your needle and this is all in your head. And Psylocke pulls up his mask just over his ma- or just off of his mouth. It says, well, if it's not real, I'm going to dream, dream up a happy ending. And they start making out as the snow gets thicker and thicker and wipes out to a full page, all white page that says the end. And we're going to get a nice little letter from Rick Remender talking about how much he loved working on the book and kind of his uh, required but sincere uh, Oscar speech thanking all the people he's worked with. And it's a nice, it's really a nice little letter. I won't read it. It's a whole page, and I mean, you can kind of get the gist of it. He's very grateful to us, the reader, and to the people he worked with. And I, I think it sounds very sincere. So it was just kind of a bow on the series, but it was a nice bow. Um, really enjoyed uh, the scene of Wolverine burying Dawkins. Uh, the three Phantom X thing is very interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to see, because obviously we know that the female Phantom X, or Phantom Sexy, <laughs> as Deadpool calls her, will be an Uncanny X-Force, and Psylocke will be, and it looks like Psylocke still has feelings for uh, male Phantom X, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe he's an unofficial part, like maybe he'll be a supporting character, in Uncanny X-Force, or maybe he'll show up somewhere else, or maybe we won't see him for a while. Maybe we'll develop the female character, and he'll kind of take a back seat. Um, I personally would like to see Psylocke and him develop a deeper relationship, but um, I don't know, maybe they won't. We'll see where, where the cards fall on that. Um, but also, we have Bad Phantom X just kind of out there. Pretty sure that this won't this is the first time we've seen him. Pretty sure it won't be the last. Um, will he show up in X-Force? Uh, not immediately. We're going to see Bishop first as the first bad guy. Will he show up in Uncanny Avengers? Maybe Reminder will, will call back to him in that book. I don't know. Maybe he'll show up in a different X-Book. But I'm interested in seeing what he does. Uh, I like. It's kind of silly and sci-fi-y, but I like the three Phantom X idea. It's cool. Okay, so, X-Force next. We have Cable and X-Force by uh, Dennis Hopeless and LaRocca, Salvador LaRocca. Kind of already gotten into that book. That is kind of the uh, the wanted outlaw X-Force. The first issue was really good. Uh, the second issue came out today as well. I'll be reading that soon. I don't think Wolverine's in it, so I'm not going to do it on this episode. And Uncanny X-Force, of course, they actually waited for this one to end to put that one out. Alright, so it'll be by Sam Humphreys and Ron Garney. Really enjoyed Ron Garney and Wolverine, uh, so looking forward to that. 
series as well. I don't know. I think it's going to still be kind of cloak and dagger stuff, clandestine, but I don't think it'll be... I just, based on, on Psylocke's kind of no more killing and Storm and just the roster, I don't think it's going to be like the outlaw team. I think it's just going to be a secret mission team, but more more espionage and less assassinating, probably, if I had to guess. Gotta say, I'm a little disappointed in the solicitations for that book. I was really looking forward to uh, Psylocke being the leader of the new X-Force. You know, if you remember several episodes ago, I kind of called that I thought Wolverine would be stepping down. And we knew that that he wasn't going to be in the X-Force books. But when we only had a little bit of art and the roster, I was hoping that Psylocke would take over the leadership role. Uh, But from the last thing I read solicitation-wise... It seemed to infer that Storm would be leading the Uncanny X-Force team. And granted, Storm has been a great X-Men leader in the past. And I don't know what's going on with the adjectiveless X-Men book that Storm has been leading. I know they kind of just announced recently that it would also be ending and starting over in Marvel now. I don't know who's going to be in it. So I don't know if Storm will still be leading that book or not. And obviously, old school-wise, as an old X-Men fan, you have the classic, like, well, who's the better leader, Cyclops or Storm? They both had terms at the helm of uncanny X-Men. So we know Storm is a good, proven leader. So I don't. it's not that I'm complaining that she's going to lead uncanny X-Force. I just was kind of looking forward to uh, Psylocke doing it and kind of thought she had earned her due. And her chance to kind of have that role. And so a little bit disappointed she won't. But um, anyway, that's really neither here nor there. Uh, but that's, you know, the two X-Force books we have coming. Or that came and are coming. But this book, uh, it's a really nice end of the series. It doesn't really necessarily end with a bang. Not a whole lot of action. Though it kind of does. The triple threat Phantom X is kind of a a big deal, or it could be. It's kind of a bang. So unlike Wolverine, which kind of ended kind of weak, I feel like this one ends, though with not very much action, it's still a really strong ending with good character development, a good conclusion to the whole series, whereas I felt like Wolverine just kind of ended with the conclusion to that little three-part story, which was ended up being pretty good, though Other than the part with Wolverine talking to Melita and trying to get his memory, trying to re-remember her, it wasn't like, so far, anything to be, like, super essential or anything that really, like, touched on the Wolverine series as a whole. You know, if you're going to end the series, you just kind of, I don't know, I feel like it'd kind of be a big story. I felt like, even without the action, that this last issue of Uncanny X-Force was still a big story. Anyway, just a really nice ending. So I'm going to give it uh, Uncanny X-Force 35 Three Claws. A great series. Looking forward to the new one. Uh, Both X-Force books I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I thought this ended super strong. Uh, Man, the whole from 1 to 35 was fantastic. It's a great ride. So um, anyway, Uncanny X-Force 35 gets Three Claws. All right, let's keep going. Okay, and now it's time for a little something old, something new. We have all new X-Men number four. And damn it, this is an exciting book. 
Man, this series has been, I don't know, one, one of the best things I'm reading right now. It's just, it's really, really flipping fantastic. And I think I approached this with a little bit of hesitation because of the time travel stuff. Who cares? It's awesome. It's a great story. Um, of course, it is written by Brian Michael Bendis. Stuart Eminen does the pencils. Wade Von Grobiger is the inker. Marte Gracia is the colorist. And VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. The cover is by Eminen, Von Grobiger, and Gracia. And the cover... Okay, well, first of all, just for the sake of everybody, and this is as much for me as the podcaster as it is for you, the listener. I'm going to try my best not to mess this up. But the rule I'm going to go by is I'm going to refer to the X-Men by age and not by whence they came. So, the old X-Men will be... So, it'll be old and young X-Men versus old and new X-Men. <laughs> Did I confuse you yet? Okay. So, our current continuity X-Men are older, so they're the old X-Men, even though they're technically timeline-wise newest. Okay, but they're old. And the young X-Men are the teenage X-Men who are older timeline, but younger or newer in age. But instead of saying old and new and really confusing it, I'm going to say old and young. The I'm going to try the best I can to stick to that. No promises. But uh, that's my goal. So, alright. So in case you're not... If you're not reading this, then just quit buying comics. <laughs> no, not really. But uh, really, if you're a Bendis fan at all, if you're an X-Man fan at all, if you liked AVX at all, and I know some people didn't, and I know some people harp on Bendis for various reasons. I've never really understood them, but I know that some people do. If you're not an X-Men fan, then I don't know why you're listening to this. So you should at least have one of the three. And honestly, you should probably have all three of three. And if you do, and you're not reading this book, then you're really uh, selling yourself short because it is really a fantastic book. I don't really know how I'm going to cover it. It's so good. I just wanted to talk about how awesome it is. Over and over again. Um, Alright. I hope you don't hate me, but... um, Before I get to that. Alright, so where we are, though, is after AVX. Um, you know, Scott has his new team in what will be the new Uncanny X-Men series of kind of a outlaw, pseudo-conceived-as-terrorist X-Men. And Hank McCoy is dying from a third mutation. Well, I guess really this is fourth mutation because the first one was just being a mutant and the second one was turning blue the third one was turning into a cat and so the fourth one which hasn't really been specified what's going on except for that it's killing him and his last ditch effort to make the world better before he left was to bring the young x-men out of the past to the present and when last we left they arrived in Texas to confront 
the old X-Men, or Cyclops' team anyway, of old X-Men to stop him from recruiting a new mutant in Texas. Alright, so, I hope you don't hate me, and getting back to that, the hating part. This opening section where old Cyclops is staring down young Cyclops, and we get a peek inside old old Cyclops' head, is so brilliant, I can't help but read it to you. (laughs) So here we go. My first thought, the one that really sticks, is that I've lost it. After all that I've been through, all the people that crawled inside my head, all the hard choices I've made, all the things I've done in the name of my mutant people, maybe I have just lost control of myself. Maybe I don't know the difference between fantasy and reality anymore. Then I think about all the mutants I know with telepathic or mind-control powers. Mastermind? Mentallo? Emma Frost? Maybe Emma has been lying about not having her psychic powers anymore. Emma made it clear that she's pretty angry, even though I'm the one who should be angry. Maybe the White Queen has finally shown her true self. But if it was her, she wouldn't let me think this. Xavier? Maybe Xavier cannot be killed. Maybe Xavier is inside my head right now. Maybe Xavier is right in front of me and he's not allowing me to see him. He's only allowing me to see what he wants me to see. He wants me to see myself. He wants me to see who I was when he loved me, when I was everything that he wanted me to be. He wants me to see the original X-Men. He wants me to see us when we were pure, when we didn't know any better, when we didn't know what the world was really like. But I know in my heart that Xavier's dead. And I know, if I really think about it, I know that no matter how angry Emma is, she would never do this. So I have to really think about who would do this, who would punish me this viciously. Then I think about shapeshifters. I think about Mystique. But there would have to be five shapeshifters, wouldn't there? And they would have to be fantastic. No, somehow this is real. I'm looking right at myself. I'm looking at the original X-Men, and they're looking right at me with such utter contempt. Damn it! I feel it in my bones. This is real. That is really Gene, and that is really me. And they're trying to figure out why I'm standing next to Magneto. How can this be? Teenage me cannot possibly fathom a world where Cyclops, leader of the X-Men, is an ally to a once-mutant terrorist Magneto. Who did this? Who brought this nightmare? Jean, there she is, alive, exactly how she looked when I first fell completely in love with her. So gorgeous, so... And then Jean yells, STOP! Okay, that is brilliant by Bendis. It covers Cyclops completely. His ability to process both the situation and his moments, I'm sorry, and his emotions in in a moment of action... His way to run a checklist through all the different options. Like, we see how intelligent and kind of all the good qualities that made Cyclops such a good leader and such a good X-Men. I think it's kind of all wrapped up in that first sequence. So Bendis is still a great writer. And I've said before and will say again, Eminem has always been a great artist, but he is just knocking it out of the park. The art in this book is, I've said before, it was probably the best he's done. It is the best he's ever done. And he's done some really good stuff. But this, whole nother level. And uh, we have a page that I think has been online a little bit. 
with all the kind of different panels, vertical skinny panels that make one face out of everybody's different face from old Cyclops to new Cyclops and to Magneto and Iceman and Jean Grey and everybody all kind of kind of making one face out of all the different faces is is perfect it's beautiful so Jean Grey is back she's been hearing all of uh Cyclops old Cyclops's inner dialogue I thought they did that really cool visually too I don't know if that's the letter or the artist but um we start off with just a straight narration kind of in the box text and then it switches to a thought balloon and that's kind of it kind of shows like okay you have your typical narration kind of your journal style uh inner dialogue but it switches to his thoughts to kind of show that Jean Grey is hearing him mentally and that was a really cool little trick to use both versions of thought with the hard narration box and the soft thought bubble and kind of Cyclops' inner conversation bleeding from one to the other, showing us how Jean Grey can hear him. And of course, she's upset, and Magneto's upset, and Cyclops thinks, look at her. Old Cyclops thinks, look at her. Everything I ever wanted in life, and she's right, and Jean Grey's like, shut up! And shoots her telekinesis, and just, we get a really cool panel of her just in anguish, holding her hand out, as Cyclops and Magneto fly through the air. And man, <laughs> and Cyclops is a tough dude, but this picture Eminem shows of him landing on the steps, face first, looks like he broke his neck. Obviously he did it because he's going to survive and he still walks, but he lands very brutally. And of course, young Cyclops, young, runs after Gene. He's like, Genie! She's like, he did it. I hear his thoughts. He killed the professor. And old Cyclops thinks, no, I love you. I would never. She stopped. She shoots off telekinesis. I don't know if she knocks off Cyclops's visor or if it's just because, you know, his power has been going crazy. But it falls off and his optic blast shoots at the young X-Men and kind of blows up a... Uh, Young Angel, Young Beast, and Young Iceman. And then Young Cyclops does a thing where he puts his finger to his visor and he yells, Stop. And then we get an awesome panel that's like the bottom half of a double page spread. And it's kind of reminiscent of the cover where the two Cyclopses. Which, did I talk about the cover? I meant to, and I'm not sure if I did. Uh, but it's reminiscent of the cover with the two Cyclops is Cyclopses shooting their eye beams at each other. And, you know, we talk about artists in comic books. And it is an art. Some people are probably more artistic than others. But this panel, like, the art of what it's saying with no... Just in the art, which is a funny thing to say, but uh, bear with me here. All right, so we have the two Cyclopses shooting at each other and their eye beams hit each other and the optic blast kind of explode against each other. But the parallel and the fact that it's split down the middle between the two pages is really telling. Because on one hand, you have old Cyclops shooting his optic blast, which is completely chaotic. 
at young Cyclops, who is shooting his very focused optic blast. And I know, like, visually, it's a visual of old Cyclops losing control of his powers and young Cyclops not having that problem. I think also, though, it speaks to their character and to their emotional headspace. We have old Cyclops, who is confident in what he's doing, but obviously this is going to shake him up a little bit, seeing his old, his young self. And, I don't know, I feel like he's not as 100% confident as he's acting. And he knows he's kind of walking a fine line, and he believes he's walking the line with a nice balance, but I think there's probably a little bit of doubt in there, and at least a little bit of turmoil of what he's been through. You know he regrets killing the professor, and he regrets not being able to stay with the X-Men, like his X, like the regular X-Men at the school and stuff. And so the chaos of his kind of out of control optic blast represents kind of, I mean, he's kind of out of control, whether you feel like he's doing the right thing or not. He's, I don't know. I just thought there was a little bit of chaos and turmoil to him that is represented also visually besides just a loss of power, but the struggle is represented visually in, in his chaotic optic blast. Then you have young Cyclops who is very, I was saying kind of black and white, but really I think the more correct term is focused and very sure of what he's doing and his perception of the world around him is simpler. I guess is a good way to put it. It's pure. And so his beam is very much, his optic blast is very much a pure shot, very focused. And those two meeting in the middle and exploding is like the clash of the two, not just optic beams, but the two ideologies of the two Cyclopses and where they are at the different points in their life. I don't know. I just thought this panel not only looked awesome, but spoke volumes about kind of what this whole series is probably going to be about at least you know, through the first couple of arcs. I just, I can't say enough about how moving I thought that spread was. It was just really, really good. Eminem, I just, he's killing it in this series. He really is. But eventually, the old Cyclops wins out, and Iceman's like, what happened to you, man? He's on an old school ice slide. And then uh, old Cyclops is feeling around again with his hand over his eyes for his visor. Magneto, who's been struggling with his Magneto powers, but he can still pick up a bike, and he sends a bike through Iceman's ice slide, and he kind of falls out of the air. And old Cyclops is like, oh no, young angels... He's attacking, or like moving in to fight, but it looks very panicked. And Magneto looks very panicked, and the close-up on his face is amazing. Like, just the way, the angle, uh, first of all, of the shot of his face, and then, like, the way his eyes are, and his mouth just looks very desperate. And he's like, Elaine, Ileana, get us out of here now! And they teleport away, and Bobby's like, he ran away? Magneto ran away? And Angel's like, since when does he do that? 
And Iceman says, this isn't the future. This is planet backwards. Love it. And Angel says, I can't believe Scott just attacked us like that. Can't believe Magneto was hugging him. Iceman's like, Cyclops is a beep. We don't know what expletive he's using there. But he says, and Magneto is a coward. This is our future. Of course, Angel argues that they should have never come here. And I can't tell if that's Beast or Angel that picks up Marvel Girl. I think it's Beast, but he says, I think it's in our best interest we depart post-haste. But he doesn't want to leave the, the present or the future. So maybe I guess he just means departing from the scene. And so we see the new mutant, Benjamin, and a guy takes a picture on his iPhone and says he's going to be famous, famous like a rock star. And his girlfriend says that basically the X-Men fighting the X-Men and two Cyclopses, as crazy as that was, means that he's definitely a mutant. So that question is answered in his mind. So then we move to the Weapon X facility. We have two of the other new mutants that Ileana has teleported in there. They talk about their powers. And we have the guy who can heal and the girl who can stop time. And then the X-Men show back up. And Scott walks off. Magneto tells Emma and Ileana, it was the X-Men. And Emma's like, they were there? How did they? And Magneto says, the original X-Men. And Emma Frost is like, what does that mean? The original five, the original teenager, Scott is a young man, and Jean Grey. Emma's like, what? And he was like, Jean Grey is here, and they are none too happy. And Magneto asks, did you do this? Answer me, Frost. She's like, did I do what? Did you do this? And she's... Looks very angry. Another great face by Eminem. And Emma storms off. And he's like, Magneto tells her that she should leave him alone. But she storms off. And Ileana asks Magneto if they got the new mutant. And he storms off. He's like, so that's a no? Damn it, Bendis. Quit making me like Ileana. (laughs) I don't want to. And Emma Frost is like, Jean Grey. That's all I need. So then we switch to Beast in the lab and, and Kenny Pride is leaving. Reed Richards a voicemail and Iceman talks about how he's freaking out still. Talks about how good it was to see Gene again. Which makes sense because I mean all the X-Men probably felt her loss but especially the original roster guys are going to I mean you don't ever forget that. And they're going to miss Gene forever. So I'm seeing her again alive. I mean, you know it's going to hit Scott the most. And well, and Wolverine too, as we saw. But yeah, all these guys, especially Ice, Man, and Beast. And I guess maybe not new old Angel because he he's a blank slate. But anyway, so we switched to Colorado where the young X-Men have landed the Blackbird. And young Hank is like, Genie, Genie, Genie. Mm, please don't have had an aneurysm. Please, I would never forgive myself. Then she wakes up, but she's kind of panicky. And because she's hearing all these thoughts and she's doubling over in pain and she can't tune them out. I guess she focuses, and even without Professor X's training on this, which she hasn't really had yet, she's able to silence like all the different voices. So it's clear we have a very strong focus, Jean Grey, which is good. That's cool. Young Iceman is like, can we please go home now? 
And young Angel's like, let's go home and forget this never happened. And Cyclo- young Cyclops is like, forget this happened? I will never forget this happened. I don't want to forget this happened. And Angel says, well, I do. I don't see any good coming from this. And Cyclops asks Jean if she's okay. And she, she kind of shoots him a look. I'm not sure if she's like, what do you mean? Of course I'm not okay. Or maybe, of course I am okay. I mean, he kind of doted on her and tried to keep her out of harm's way a little too much. In the old X-Men series, depending on when exactly this team is pulled from in the continuity. So maybe she's reacting to that, like, quit trying to overprotect me. Or maybe she's mad because he doesn't want to leave. And she's like, I'm not ready for this present right now. But young Beast says, I'm not leaving this place until I'm sure I will live. We're going back to the mansion now. And Bobby's like, oh, we're not going to go after Magneto and Evil Scott? Then, in an exact parallel scene, we had young Cyclops sitting on the cliff, or on the plateau, with his knee, elbows propped up on his knees, arms folded. We see the exact same scene with old Cyclops sitting on a hill outside the Weapon X facility. And he hears Emma walking up, and he's like, Not now, Emma. And she says, I just want you to know I didn't do this. <laughs> Like my Emma voice. And he's like, I know. And she's like, you know who did? And he's like, no. And she asks him, or she states that he knows the difference between real and not real and asks, was it real? And he says yes. And she's, and so she's like, so she was just standing right there? Yes. Her and the young you? Yes. What did they want? Emma, go away. I'm serious. If we know what they want, then we know who did this. They wanted to see for themselves what I had become. And so basically they deduce that it's the beast, which is a little bit of like, I don't know, too easy of a deduction. But we see that all the time in comic books where they kind of automatically assume that the the right answer is right, even though the evidence hasn't completely pointed there yet. But there's enough to guess. And so we're just going to go on that hunch and go with it. See that a Batman all the time. <laughs> anyway, that's forgivable in comics, so I won't hold that against Bendis too much. But Scott asks, why would Beast do it? And Emma says, because you killed Charles Xavier, and he can't kill you back, so he's going to punish you. As old Cyclops grits his teeth. Then we switch back to the school, and Storm says that uh, they can't track the plane. <laughs> Wolverine's like, it's Hank McCoy. Pretty sure he can figure a way to throw the transponder out the window. So yes, Wolverine is in this issue, in case you're wondering why we're talking about it. And Storm says she's going to go look for him, but Wolverine says to wait till a lead shows up. And Wolverine says, you're yelling at me like I did this. And she says, no, I'm yelling at you because... And then the Blackbird lands. And young Beast comes out and says, Hey, who's in charge around here? And Wolverine and Storm simultaneously say, Me! In stereo. Which I thought was really funny. Because Wolverine's the headmaster, but Storm's definitely used to being the leader. Which I talked about during the Uncanny uh, part. Uncanny X-Force part. And Beast basically says, With all due respect, he's going to attend to his older self because he has some theories. And he rushes into the lab, and all the young X-Men rush into the lab. And young Beast wants to see all of his medical files for old Beast. All the information about all his different mutations. 
And of course, Iceman screams again and startles Kenny Pride. He's like, "Bobby, you have to stop! You have to stop screaming every time they walk into the room." And he's like, "But I'm looking at myself again." And Beast starts to wake up, and he sees his younger self. Old Beast starts to wake up and sees his younger self. But then he starts to flatline, and he's going into cardiac arrest. And somehow he's able to yell at the same time that the monitor is flatlining, which you think he would yell and then flatline. So I'm not entirely sure about that. But anyway, this book is freaking awesome. Uh, everybody on the the team on this issue did awesome. Bendis and Eminent are hitting it out of the park. And you know what? So are Grobinger and Gracia. And also, said it. In case you're not sure, I'm going to give All New X-Men number four a very strong three claws. This is my favorite book I'm reading right now. So hopefully Wolverine will stay in it so I can keep talking about it on the podcast because I love talking about it. But anyway, uh, we're going to move on. Our last book is Avengers number two. So let's get to that. But again, All New X-Men number four, three claws, fully extended, gleaming in the moonlight (laughs) whatever i loved it great book all right so we're going to end up with avengers number two this is written by jonathan hickman art by jerome opania colors by dean white with justin ponsor and maury hollowell letter by vcs Corey pettit the covers by dustin weaver and justin ponsor and there were variant covers by Isad Ribic, J.R.J.R., which is John Romina Jr., Klaus Jansen, and Dean White. The cover by Weaver is the middle second panel of the triptych. Oh, okay, well, the guy with the dreads on issue one was not Sunspot, because Sunspot's right here, using his mutant power. Anyway, it's the second panel of the three-panel kind of poster-sized image we're going to get. It has Falcon, Thor, Black Widow, Sunspot, and Iron Man's Hand. It's a really cool cover. Alright, so remember in issue one, we had uh, Ex Nilio, Abyss, and Aleph sending origin bombs to the Earth. And they're going to either evolve our world or destroy it. The Avengers went to Mars to fight them, got their butts kicked, and they sent Captain America back to Earth. Alright, so we start off on Mars, and I guess Abyss still has slight control, or at least not, maybe not control, but it's still manipulating the Hulk. And she talks about Thor, and she explains it really kind of cool. Of course, they have all the Avengers captured in this tree. I guess it's called the Learning Tree, which is quite similar, I think, in idea to the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil from the Garden of Eden. A lot of references to creation in this book, so I'm sure it's just kind of another way of saying that kind of idea, or a fantastical interpretation of that. Anyway, all the movie Avengers, which is the, remember the the team from the movie is the team that went to Mars, and so all of them except for Hulk and Captain America are trapped in this tree, that would be Iron Man, Thor, Hawkeye, and Black Widow. But Abyss says, I've examined them all, and this one, Thor, is different, mythic. Neither the tree nor I can break him down to his base bits. Which <laughs> just sounds perverted. Uh, anyway, as if he does 
My bass bits are tingly, as if he doesn't fully exist or originate from the here and now. I thought that was a really cool way of saying that. And she says, I haven't seen anything this exciting in 100,000 years. I believe I have found me a god, ex Nilio. And so Aleph is going to scan Thor. And I really like the way Opania draws Thor. It kind of looks like Hemsworth a little bit, which is cool. But um, yeah, I just, I like, I like it. And ex Nilio walks up and says, well, if you are a god, then like myself, you know something about creation stories, don't you? And Thor explains uh, Asgard and the All-Father. <laughs> and Exnilio says, yes, yes, that's all very nice, but I'm interested in what closes the loop. When you get to the end of the story, do you have a resurrection myth, or is there just an apocalypse waiting for you? Thor looks at him, and he goes, listen closely, God, this is the true beginning, and how it will end for your world. And we get yet another kind of this is how the Marvel Universe was created, which I feel like we've had over the years a bunch of different versions of this. So is this really what happened, or is this just what this guy happens to believe? I don't know. I don't really know if Marvel knows, to be honest. <laughs> but, all right, so this version of the account is, At the dawn of everything were the Builders. They were the first race and the oldest living things in the cosmos. They were obviously perfect. And they worshipped the goddess, the mother maker herself, the universe. It was depicted as a black silhouette with a crescent moon. As either part of her or right behind her, not sure. But eventually they kind of obviously went astray. And they sent out gardeners or aliphs to uh, purge species unfit and unsuitable for their new universe. And new universe is bold and I've heard... Some people say that's a teaser from the Hickman's going to bring characters back from the Marvel New Universe. It was that really crappy Marvel line from the 80s. I hope that's not true. I'm sure some people are excited about that, but yeah, I hope not. Those are some pretty bad comic books. That's why, there's a reason they got canceled, Hickman. So if that's what you're thinking of doing, just remember that. There's a reason they got canceled. But I guess... Our Aleph from our story, he found a world worthy of evolution, so he released the garden he had carried within him for all time. Now, no two seeds an Aleph carries are the same. The builders and all their wisdom knew that creation was chaos and fully embraced this inconstant constant. I thought that was a really cool way of saying that. So our Aleph yielded myself, ex Nilio, and my sister Abyss. And... Exnilio comes from a white egg and Abyss from a black egg. Abyss kind of looks like a baby nightcrawler in this picture. And so they're born and they investigate new worlds and either break it or attempt to transform the base species we find there into magnificent, more transcendent creatures. And that's what I'm going to do for Earth. It might be a great story of creation. We shall see. And then we go back to kind of a flashback to Tony Stark and Captain America talking about expanding the Avengers and how the model they're going to use for that. And Tony Stark says Captain America will see it as a state of mind, an attitude to be adopted and spread to others through words invoking deeds. Saying things like greater threats mean greater needs. And Captain America's like, yeah, you're right, I will. And he goes, but, and I'm safe to assume you're going to see this as a math problem. And Tony starts like, actually an engineering one. 
And he talks about a new machine, like an Avenger machine. And basically, he calls it a foundation, kind of a reference to the future foundation, which obviously was... That was Hickman's baby in the Fantastic Four, right? Didn't he come up with the future foundation thing? So Captain America says it's going to be the trilogy, um, the Avengers trilogy, him, Iron Man, and Thor. And Iron Man says, yeah, and Banner. And Captain America's like, you know how that always ends. And Tony Stark cracks a, cracks a joke. In Tijuana, or a monastery, maybe space camp. They basically say that they need some old members of the Avengers and some new Avengers members of the Avengers. And the three new guys they list right off the bat are three kind of Uggs for me. I don't mean the ugly boots. I mean like UGH. Uh, Captain Universe, Hyperion, and Smasher. None of which excite me. Uh, they kind of talk about like they're going to set up this network and a reserve system. If the need arises, they'll be ready to, to call. Captain America asks about Luke Cage. Iron Man says he's not interested. And Doctor Strange is busy. I'm assuming we can get that from the last issues of the two Avengers series, New Avengers and Avengers that just ended. And then now we see some of the new team is assembled. They're getting ready to make a ship that goes to Mars. And so then we flash even further back to some of the recruiting process. They all came for different reasons. And we see a scene very reminiscent of the scene in the X-Men First Class movie. When Magneto and Professor X are running around recruiting their, the first group of X-Men, there's that scene in the bar with Wolverine, and he basically tells them to F off. Great scene. I, a great cameo had me laughing hysterically when I saw the movie. So we have Captain America and Iron Man, or I guess Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, meeting Logan in a bar, and there's several empty beer glasses in the bar. And they're basically recruiting him, just like they tried to in the movie. And Tony starts like, we have beer. Logan's like, sold. Then we see them recruiting Spider-Man saying, we have money. And Spider-Man's like, oh, thank God. Which I'm assuming, I don't know. See, that seems out of context. It seems like something that when they, they would say to old, like pre-big time Spider-Man. So that's pretty old. Because, I mean, Spider-Man now has been at Horizon Labs for a while, and you got to assume he's been making a decent amount of money. Or has at least been supporting himself. And isn't like, you know, like the old, you know, that old Parker Luck Spider-Man, previous to Brand New Day and definitely previous to Big Time, I was always hard up for cash. And so I would see that Spider-Man reacting this way. I don't see the current Spider-Man reacting this way. And especially if it's the superior Spider-Man, which is his Marvel now, so I'm assuming it probably is. That just seems really out of character for Spider-Man. And of course they recruit Falcon as Shang-Chi. <laughs> Iron Man asks if he thinks he would ever consider using weapons. And he's like, beyond these, what weapon can a man ever need? And looking at his fist. And Tony Stark has a really impish grin when he says that, when Shang-Chi says that. It's kind of weird looking. And then Captain America, or no, I guess that's Hawkeye's being called back in. Which, that seems kind of obvious, but maybe that book ended differently. And we have, uh, you know, I do like this, because Sunspot and Cannonball have always been really good friends and gone on breaks and vacations together. So they're sitting on the beach, and Sam Guthrie's like, 
Hey, Bobby, you're not going to believe who that was on the phone. He's like, here, drinky. <laughs> and he has a nice beachy drink with an umbrella in it. He's like, seriously, you're you're not going to believe who called. And Sunspot's like, huh? He goes, first, it was Wolverine. And stop right there. Tell the man no thinking. Tell him I'm sick of superheroing. I'm done. We're retired. Permanent vacation, Sam. We've earned it. And Cannonball's like, right. And then Wolverine puts Steve Rogers on the phone. Captain America said he wants us to be Avengers. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> I thought you just said, well, that was the that was me talking about the X-Men, Sam. This is different. Oh, so give up the circle X of mutantdom. Feared and hated, Sunspot chimes in. And take up the circle A of Avengers. Loved and adored. <laughs> Cannonball's like, you make a good point. He goes, it's the best point, brother. So they're going to be Avengers. And then I guess... Okay. Maybe I'm proclaiming my ignorance. But... So there's this guy who looks a whole lot like Gateway. But Gateway's dead. He died in Uncanny X-Force. But he look his name is Manifold, but he has he looks like Gateway and he has the same powers as Gateway. So is the Gateway thing is that like a position that is kinda like passed down through the this Aborigine tribe, this particular tribe? And like there's always a person in that position and Gateway just a guy we happen to know. But they recruit him, they recruit Spider Woman and Captain Marvel. One of which I love, the other which I can do without. You can decide for yourself what that is. And then we see more origin bombs landing on Earth. And these like weird slug things are eating people. The Avengers try to argue with ex Nilio on Mars. It doesn't really do any good. When ex Nilio basically says, well, you better hope I can evolve these people or Aleph's going to destroy your planet. So you should hope Tony Stark accuses him of genocide. And he says, hardly... And you better hope this genocide quote-unquote works or we're just going to blow up your planet. <laughs> so Captain America kind of sees what's going on and he says that all the preparations taken too long. They need to leave and go back to Mars. Wolverine expresses hesitation and asks if he thinks the team is ready. Then Captain America's like, not at all, but it's not a luxury we have. So he calls Manifold in and Wolverine's really nervous about it. Wolverine kind of makes fun of him, which is weird because Wolverine has a lot of experience with Gateway. And Wolverine went to recruit Gateway Uncanny X-Force. So why is he like so weird about this Manifold guy who pretty much does the exact same thing? He even explains his power the same way. He says, for me, it's like space and time fold in on themselves and I just step from one place into the other. That's Claremont talking about Gateway. So why is Wolverine like all in a tizzy about this and worried that Manifold is going to kill them in the process of going to Mars? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, they go and they land on Mars and that's where we stop. Um, all right, well, obviously, being a Wolverine podcast, I'm irked that I feel like he got Wolverine wrong. I feel like he got a couple of people just kind of wrong in this book, but then he got some people right. Cannonball and Sunspot, I thought, were dead on. So, I don't know. I feel like Hickman is playing with some characters really well and not so well with others. Of course, I like Jerome Opinion. The art was pretty good. 
It's like one or two weird facial expressions, but I think that's just his style. But the art was really good. I'm worried about some of the roster, um, as far as just not like not being my favorite characters. But that's okay, because there are some characters I really like on it, too. Um, yeah, parts of this issue were really cool. Some good exposition. I feel like a lot of stuff happened. It was weird. I feel like the setup issue came after the first issue. I feel like a lot of stuff happened in issue one, and this issue just kind of set up issue one after the fact. Um, it was good. Not great. Um, I'm going to give Avengers number two, two claws. So there you go. Okay, so that is going to be our episode for December. Man, a lot of stuff, and it all came out on the same day. So I'm glad I broke some of the other stuff off into uh, different episodes, because just the books we did was plenty to do. But hey, I enjoy it. I'm choosing to do this. I had a lot of fun reading the books. And I mean, man, if Avengers number two would have been a little better, I would have given I would have given every book on this episode three claws. That's kind of crazy. So there's a lot of books that came out today, but a lot of really good books. And I don't know, maybe I'm just so seeing everything through the rose-colored glasses. The fact that I got engaged this weekend. So congratulations to me and my beautiful fiance. But um. Yeah, well, I am very happy and excited about that. And obviously have a even more positive outlook than I might normally have. Honestly, I just feel like the Wolverine books this month, or at least the ones that I covered on this episode, are pretty outstanding. Um, Avengers is okay, but all the rest were fantastic. And just really hitting high notes. So yeah, alright. Um, as usual, like the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Snit Podcast Fan Page. Email me at Snitcast at Yahoo.com. Follow me at Snitcast on Twitter. Yeah, give me some feedback. Maybe you loved Avengers and you want to tell me how wrong I was about it being just kind of decent. Maybe you didn't feel as overly excited about some of the other books as I did. Let me know. Yeah, alright. Well, I'm going to cut that there. Um... Hope everybody has a fantastic holiday. I hope you don't all die in the apocalypse. And I will see you in the new year, probably. I don't think I'll try to do anything else before then. Time will tell. Anyway, all you guys take care of yourselves. And whether it's 2012 or 2013, I will see you in the next episode. Or if the world ends, I'll see you in the next life. Alright, peace.